This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hi, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And with me, as always, is Maxwell Bogue. Hey, Joris. How you doing today? I'm great. I'm great. It's a little bit cold here in Valencia in Spain, but uh, the whole hanging in there and uh, yeah, kind of uh, doing well, actually. The end of the year kind of uh, kind of reflective time is upon us. Indeed. It's, it's cold here in New York as well. So I, I feel your pain. I feel like it's probably colder here in New York. Probably. It's just, just hovering <laughs> around one Celsius. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, here it's yeah. 11 and we're already like, everybody's freaking out. No one's going yeah, to the market because it's too cold. <laughs> And who do we have on the 3D pod today? Uh, okay, so we've got Bob Markley today. Uh, he's uh, one of the key people at Adman, uh, Adman Engineering. And uh, well, Bob's actually, a, it's a race car guy, essentially, just like, uh, like uh, Andrew Cunningham. We had uh, a couple weeks ago, very much into the whole racing thing. And uh, covering IndyCar engineer. Yeah, recovering and <laughs> so and and so that's his background. He was really in this racing thing, and at one point uh, he saw an opportunity to get started in the uh, the three D printing space. And uh, I did, well, I did some stuff in aerospace engineering, some turbo shaft engine, that kind of stuff as well. But then decided to start a service bureau, and uh, he bought a Fortis and a Phoenix. It was not a PXL, uh, the other one, uh, and uh, uh, which PXM. Was, yeah, PXM, which I think he got lucky on that one. <laughs> And I think but that wasn't that kind of been easy. And then later on, he well, he kind of built that into what is Adman. Now, so the interesting thing is Adman kind of from when Bob kind of started it, he was kind of like a one man band with a printer. And that's what usually the market in the US was. It was this really super fragmented market with a couple of guys with one metal machine, for example. And now Adman has kind of transformed itself into being one of these kind of like I kind of tentatively call them super service bureau kind of things because. There are these companies that have the I have ITAR, they have I thousand uh, 9001D, other quality management systems and stuff like this, and they have a broad array of uh, of, of systems and across technologies, and they're really dealing with like you know uh, being able to supply the sp- defense and space and, and and manufacturing community, and and there's there's we, we're we're going to interview all these guys by the way, and Adman is one of these <laughs> these kind of super super service bureaus that are like okay. We're not a service bureau, as in we don't do just prototypes. We do serious manufacturing. And, you know, we're just really curious to see where this is going. Are these guys going to be the manufacturing partners for the space industry going forward? Are they going to be like more like contract manufacturers? So that's kind of the why we have Bob here today. So welcome on the show, Bob. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, speaking of weather, I'm in, I'm in overcast Southern California today. It's, uh, uh, everybody's complaining uh, about it being 60 degrees. I'm like, I came from 28 and sleeting. I'll take this any time of year. Yeah, good, okay. hella cool. Yeah, um, <laughs> exactly. Uh, actually, Admin's based in Indiana. Or you, you are, right? Uh, so I, the shop that I started is in, in the Indianapolis region. Um, mm-hmm. Our headquarters is actually in Florida, uh, Bonita Springs, Florida. Uh, we're getting ready to, to move here shortly as soon as the build-out finished. Obviously, the, the hurricanes down there have... Uh, have slowed that plan a little bit, um, but nearing nearing move into our new headquarters. And then over the course of the last 18 months, I think we're up to, I have to count them out here. Uh, so we've got sites in, I'm down here at, at our Castion facility in Southern California. Mm-hmm. We have um, the Domail Engineering family of companies, uh, which uh, includes Tech out of Wright City, Missouri, uh, Domail and uh, Domail Fiber Optics out of Rochester, Minnesota. Um, Stanley 
uh, Engineering out of Glen Burnie, Maryland, uh, and have recently acquired uh, Harbeck in uh, near Rochester, New York, which uh, is actually where I was earlier in the week, and just a fantastic set of capabilities there that mm-hmm. really helps helps round down our offerings. Okay, so I'm uh, kind of interested because you guys are kind of like an amalgam of all the different trends in the service bureau market. So on one hand, you're this one-stop shop versus like the the, the kind of RTR registered big uh, service, right? Doing the the, the most uh, complicated of parts and most uh, stringent of parts. The next, the biggest trend we see in the U.S. is that there's consolidation. And you guys also are a consolidator, just like there's a couple other companies that are buying up a whole bunch of uh, service bureaus, Midwest, for example. And they're buying up a whole bunch of service bureaus as well. And also, you kind of like in the but in the way that you've consolidated these companies like Castiel and all these things, you're really kind of very much exploring the depths of these verticals, right? Uh, and, and looking at very specific machining operations, very specific verticals. So that's another trend we're seeing. So tell me about Admin a little bit. What's 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 the current state of Admin, and what's your your future? Let's say. Yeah. So I wanted something you said. Um, all of our facilities are ITAR. Uh, ITAR registered, everything, all of our facilities are AS9100 with the exception of the headquarters and, and that's uh, quite a bit of administrative going on there, um, but we do intend to, to uh, work on our, our quality systems and, and get those implemented. Um, so what we've seen is additive is, is just, it's been talked about ad nauseum, Adam, additive is just one one piece of the puzzle um, in, in the manufacturing sphere, it's, it's one tool in the tool belt. And uh, what we see is that you have to have fantastic capabilities in every every single aspect of production, uh, and that's all the way from from how do you get qualify validate your powder, uh, all the way through that final shipping, and that includes machining, that includes heat treat, uh, post processing, coating, uh, etc. And, and what we've done is we've done quite a bit of vertical integration uh, in that in that. Um, vein. Uh, we see it continuing. One of the differences that we've, uh, different approaches that we've taken as opposed to a core is, is we are extremely heavily focused on on metal at this point. That will change. And we've, we've really looked at that, that value stream and where can we add value to our clients? And why do we have to hit everything with the additive hammer, right? Not everything's designed for additive. Not everything should be produced. Uh, in this fashion. So we've been able to, to give our clients those opportunities um, to, to go both ways, take additive parts and look at if, if CNC is better and provide them with a fully finished component, uh, as well as take our traditional precision CNC machining customers and, and have them look at additive and work and benefit them. And having two very strong sides of the house um, has, has really uh, been extremely beneficial to, to our customer base. Um, and it's very much an engineering driven engagement it seems to us at least that 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 this consolidation is primarily driven by like the the the, the kind of aerospace slash defense supply chain is that or is it just that the the market conditions are right for there to be consolidation manufacturing at the moment as a lot of uh, manufacturing sites in america kind of dry up that's what you know neil oranger uh, astro america said at one point hey a lot of these guys are aging out a lot of these shops are disappearing so there's actually like a restriction in, in manufacturing capability in the states especially in like the high precision stuff yeah, and we've been seeing that for you know for a decade now, um, with with quite a bit of consolidation. Uh, the the founders um, of quite a few of these smaller machine shops uh, retiring, um, second generation coming in that may or second and third generation that may or may not want to run the shops. But what we've also seen is we've seen the 
the cost of doing business uh, with an aerospace quality um, system, aerospace quality machines is, is extremely expensive. Uh, and as it's not only the people aging out, it's it's the machines aging out and the capital that it takes uh, to to replenish your uh, your equipment base and keep that up to date to stay competitive and to keep uh, keep parts uh, into ever ever shrinking tolerance bands. Um, so it's it's really a little a little bit of both driven both by both industry and uh, uh, individuals, if you will. Yeah. So if we look so, at the additive thing, then that's only going to get worse, right? Because we're seeing now quad laser is becoming norm the norm. Uh, you know, we're getting 12 lasers and all this other craziness. And then on top of it, we're, get, we're seeing that there is going to be a needed investment in post-finishing equipment and automation, which is also going to be too big for these guys. So they're going to, it's really going to be difficult to make a profit on a smaller service uh, bureau at the moment. And if we're just looking at the additive, especially the metal additive component of that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've said it to, uh, to quite a few of my friends. I don't know if I could have done what I did back in 2013 in today's environment. Um, it's there's been a, a significant amount of capital deployed into this industry, a significant amount of uh, advancements. Um, but with that also comes all of the quality systems. There's there's a certain high level of cost to quality. Uh, it, we've gone basically from you know back in 2013 being happy when we could stick metal together to controlling microstructure. Uh, and I know that that's probably a little bit of an extreme. Uh, example, but the the pace at which this industry has progressed over over the last decade just just blows my mind. And to try and do it as a, as a small guy, um, as a small self funded operation, uh, I I don't I think those days are are numbered. Mm-hmm. Uh, and would you like? And, and where do you see the opportunity? Is it are you just going to be a partner for everyone? Or are you going to be super focused on certain verticals? Or we're primarily focused uh, in in the aerospace and defense, just because of the legacy of of our companies. Um, we do see opportunities in general industrials, uh, some opportunities. Um, so we see some opportunities in medical. So I don't think we're going to be everything to everyone. Uh, when you're looking at everything we do, is is an extremely high quality component, um, and all the way our systems are currently set up uh, are are for that. Now moving forward, uh, we are working on streamlining our information flow. So as we talk about manufacturing and what industry 4.0, and I, I, I hate that term, but I'm going to use it. Uh, <laughs> what industry 4.0 demands. Are we on 4.1? Are we on 4.2? No, no. Oh my sorry. goodness. <laughs> and, and then everybody has a different different definition of that. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and throw in kind of my, my thoughts on it. Uh, yes, please. So it's 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 more than again it's more than equipment right it's that entire infrastructure and that digital infrastructure and how do we get information flowing from the customer through the business development or program management team to manufacturing to operations to quality and what does that entire digital thread look like uh, and that's one of the areas where we're putting a significant amount of focus through our digital manufacturing initiative and we've seen some competition do it. We think we can do it better. Uh, and through enabling that digital manufacturing, the enablement of that digital manufacturing initiative, we believe that, uh, that that's going to be able to open up our markets uh, and our offerings to, to more than, than just the aerospace or the, the highly regulated industries uh, at, a, at a price point that may be, be more feasible uh, to, to broaden, broaden our base of customers. Is your is that something like the average, you know, 
by average, the average small or medium sized business can access now through you guys, or are you not geared for that yet? You're not like trying to be a zoology well, it, or whatever, one of those. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think we're we're there yet. Um, we're on we're on the path. There may be we may need to come back and, and record some updates uh, depending on <laughs> on when this airs because you know it's everything's constantly moving. Um, I what, our what's your hope? Move? I guess or the hope that you're yeah. willing to disclose <laughs> at well, this time. I mean, at the end of the day, everybody here, we all, we all got to make money and pay our paychecks. Right, of uh, course. Yeah. So, but no, we, we actually work with quite a few uh, small and medium-sized businesses, even now in our, our existing setup as, as we scale this digital manufacturing initiative. Um, we've got our traditional processes, right? It's, it's not like there's not something there. Uh, it's just not as efficient as, as we see it could be. So uh, honestly, quite a, while we do work for, for most of the primes, uh, we do do a significant amount of work for the, the small and medium-sized businesses. I mean, we, we talked about it a little bit earlier. The, the cost of capital uh, equipment is for metal printers is, is just, I mean, you're looking, you're looking well over a million million dollars to get into it, um, which isn't something that every small and medium-sized business can can afford. So as, as I used to joke, uh, we spend the millions so you don't have to. Um, so we actually find find quite a bit of value in, in the small and medium size customers, as well as a willingness to try things and a willingness to explore. I'm not going to say it's not as regimented as some of the uh, some of the larger customers, but there's a, a willingness to there's a willingness to take a little bit more risk, uh, especially in, in some of the development phases and look at the advantages of, of where uh, additive can can play in their product line, uh, even if that's a, a time to market play or if it's a functionality improvement, uh, part count reduction. I mean, you've heard all the uh, all the reasons to go go AM, um, and it's it really seems to be resonating uh, more so since since our 2020 and, and supply chain uh, meltdown. Uh, it really seems to be resonating with with our small and medium clients. This is interesting because like. I'm not like if you set up a higher cost of quality and you set up on this really high high uh, cost manufacturing kind of setup, you know, there's a need for you to reduce costs and there's a willingness. So, but you know, aren't you just like trapped? Because traditionally, one would say, no, no. If you go with the high cost of quality route and the high uh, tolerance parts, all that, there's no way for you to go down because you're always going to be trapped by that that kind of high cost structure. Is that true, or do you, do you really think that you can like say, hey, we can make a more quotidian part using this really expensive quality system where we have to check everything three times and, and burn a lot of samples and all this stuff. So that, you know, again, that comes down to us being an extremely engineering forward company and having the engineer to engineer conversations. So not everything needs to go through that, that all those, uh, uh, high cost of quality checks, you know, for, for a quick and dirty prototype, um, we, we don't need to pull, dozens upon dozens of, of pencil samples. Now we've got other projects where we're providing design allowables to our customers or in the process. Uh, and those are hundreds upon hundreds of pencil bars. So we really, what we want to do is we want to engage with the engineering and manufacturing teams to really understand what the intent of a project is. Um, and then we can tailor our methods to, to that project. Uh, that is one of the the nice things about working with us is that you know we we're essentially a group of of small and medium sized businesses at at this point 
Uh, and we all, everybody in the organization has has a lot of that background and understands that uh, that there needs to be flexibility in, in what our offerings are. So we can really tailor our our offerings and, and our solutions to to our clients. And again, having the capabilities and capacity across across all of our sites means that one, we don't have to hit everything with the additive hammer, uh, and and Two, when when we are using additive, we've got some optionality in terms of mate- machines, materials, equipment uh, to to really help our clients achieve their goals. Yeah, but and uh, yeah, I would like that because like you, everybody's always talking about the aerospace primes and all these really large companies, but yeah, the supply chain behind them is huge, right? And a lot of these businesses are well, they're all sorts of size, but there's all sorts of businesses that have a, a you know that that that, that are operating this, including small ones and including suppliers to suppliers. Is is it complicated for you guys to find opportunities, or they find you because there's rel- relatively few companies that do what you do, or? Uh, all, all of the above. Uh, as we've grown out the team, we've grown out the commercial team, um, and and we've got it uh, uh, divided into uh, basically our, our business development and our program managers. Um, so we we love our existing relationships with our clients, and and we think we do a very good job of taking care of them. Uh, so we we do get a significant amount of, of inbound, but we also have a team out there cultivating and developing new relationships. And, you know, one of the, the things that, that has really been impressed upon me uh, as we've gone out and done these acquisitions is just the, the amazing strength of our technical teams and the connection that our technical teams have to our customers' technical teams. Uh, and that, that uh, as I, I'm an engineer by background, so I, I get to say this, the ability to speak geek, right? And, <laughs> and, we love our customers and they, they, they love us. And uh, what we we aim to do is become a trusted source for them of, uh, of quality parts. Um, and, and that creates uh, a very uh, good working relationship that, that endures. Uh, and, and to me, uh, you know, well, first off, now it begs the question, I think, I think it's the right time to address it. Like you were a guy with two machines, essentially. And now all of a sudden you're acquiring service jobs left, right, and center. Did you, you win a Powerball lottery in the middle somewhere. Yeah. What, what, what happened? <laughs> no, so so let, let's let's be clear here. I Third Dimension, which was the, the company that I founded back in 2013, um, was acquired by acquired by Adman uh, in March of 2021. So the, the background story on on Adman is uh, it is it, it we are wholly owned by American Industrial Partners, um, which is a private equity firm out of New York. Uh, and they focus exactly on what their name says, uh, American Industrials. Um, so one of their uh, one of their ex CTOs who was in retirement was was brought back and tasked with, hey, go find something, some technology out there. Uh, this is Mr. Mark Saberton. Um, go find some technology out there that can have an, a material impact on the majority of our portfolio companies. Uh, so. Mark spent uh, honestly about four years, and I think ninety-eight. He was on version ninety-eight of the business plan, um, and so so he got Adman up and running uh, out of his garage um, in a, a very similar fashion to to what some of our uh, some of our sites started at. I mean, uh, I started in in eighteen hundred square feet in the strip mall, uh, Doctor Gao. Um, got his first machine was was essentially running in, in the same thing, uh, and so Mark got the, got this going, and um, 
at that point we were we were approached uh third dimension was approached as hey we've got got this opportunity uh what do you guys think and so march of 2021 we we closed a deal and uh, at that point adman was uh was three three people i believe um so bringing us on uh bumped it up a little bit uh brought in the metal capability some machining capability uh and then since then you know we we've had the domain acquisitions we've had harbeck um cassian uh and and we're now close to to 500 people a 500 person organization uh and just growing rapidly. We'll have more acquisitions uh, coming up here uh, over, over the coming years, plus our organic growth, which uh, we've, organic growth has, has been substantial among those, those organizations. Um, and again, it's being able to offer, offer the right solution to solutions to our clients and, and be able to offer a broad set of solutions. So it's it's been Maybe. it's been a wild ride. That's for that's for sure. <laughs> it yeah. like it's not going to stop anytime soon. Fair enough. And and maybe you have not heard of American Industrial Partners. Uh, you're like, well, I've never heard of these guys. Like, essentially, they're a PE firm, which has acquired like I think it was over, they have over like sixty thousand employees or something, and like two hundred manufacturing sites in all sorts of industries. Right? This is actually a huge player that maybe no one's ever heard of. Essentially, right? Uh, correct, but you, you've likely heard of um, probably of some of their portfolio companies. Uh, so they they've been instrumental with uh, Rev Group, which, for example, owns Fleetwood RV. Um, they they hold uh, the company that that make, Rev Group makes most of your ambulances and fire trucks here in the United States. Um, it's it's a legit, well-run uh, private equity firm, and I just you know to, for me to be able to luck into into this situation i i mean that's 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 what it is luck um and i've been extremely fortunate to uh to be a part of this ride and and to continue on this journey so imagine i'm listening to this and i have a service bureau or something like that, and I'm like, why would i sell to these guys well, what's the difference then for you as like your entrepreneur like at one point i think this is you know you're, you're your own boss i'd say your own man you, you get to like make your own decision this, this could be taxing but it could also be very exciting. So why should I consider selling to these guys? So I, we go back to, to what we talked about earlier with 12, 12 laser machines coming out, um, the, the having to have that full value chain and, and what that investment looks like. You know, for us, we got to a point where, uh, where do we, we had to bring on investors to continue our growth. Um, I was, I was fully, I was bootstrapped uh, from, from, 2013 to, to 2018, I uh, had, had an initial set of investors in 2018. Um, and we needed a, a partner that, that would enable our growth, not only from, from the capital perspective, but from the operations perspective. And uh, one of the, the unique things about AIP is almost everybody in the organization has an operations or engineering background, uh, and it's extremely strong. In, in that regard, um, so it's it's not uh, it, it's not just a bunch of financial engineering. It's it's actually creating creating value in the companies to drive the value uh, of the companies. It's really interesting that you mentioned this ambulance and police car company. That's one of my. A lot of people are excited about automotive. I'm less excited about automotive generally, but I'm mega excited about ambulances, special vehicles, specialty vehicles. Um, uh, police vehicles, all these things for, for 3D printing. I think that's a really huge uh, kind of uh, area for, for us potentially. 
and much more near term than than a lot of the opportunities in automotive. Well, yeah, the volumes are right in the sweet spot. Um, one of the cool things that uh, that we've done out of our Florida facilities, we've got a couple large uh, FDM machines. So as um, as fire trucks, uh, ambulances are are being ordered, uh, the customer is able to basically spec an outlay that's going to fit their radio sets, their iPads, whatever whatever it is that they use on the job, orient it how, how they want, and basically get a, a custom set of tool holes, custom center console for ergonomics or ease of use. Um, and then we, we talk about that, you know, traditionally would be a, a welded component that, to be, to be quite honest, uh, the aesthetics weren't, weren't quite there. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really been a, a pretty cool opportunity. We've done, done some jigs some fixtures, you know, we, we keep, we keep talking about aerospace and defense and looking at end use production, but, you know, I look just at, at what Harbeck has done with, uh, with their metal additive and they're primarily, uh, one of their big lines of business is, uh, is injection molding. Um, and they've been a, a great, ad, uh, adopter of, of using metal additive to, to really improve efficiencies in injection molding. Uh, through the creation of of tooling um, and just how they're wrapping conformal lines uh, around around those tools, I'm not going to get into a ton of detail on that uh, because there's there's a little bit of uh, secret secret sauce to it. But uh, you know we, we keep looking at at all these opportunities outside of aerospace and defense. And man, you think about just about what's out there and what we haven't even touched yet. Oh my goodness! As an industry, we are we are just starting. We are just, on, we're not even something big yet, right? We're, we're on the cusp of, of being, still being small. Uh, and I just, I just can't imagine what the next 30 to 50 years are going to bring for us. I mean, unreal, unreal. We're going to have the opportunity to impact every single point of manufacturing, every single point of life from, you know, from ambulances and fire trucks to, jet engines to you name it that's cool that's cool to be creating cool, yeah. the processes and the technology to do that so i assume you guys are pretty s not as as not yeah <laughs> i assume you guys i know where you're going yeah agnostic when in, ter- when in terms of machinery and stuff like that but is there is there anything coming or on the horizon that you're particularly excited about in terms of its capabilities that you think adds to, to this business yeah so obviously we're seeing we're seeing New equipment come out almost uh, almost weekly. Um, more lasers, bigger build volume. You know, we're gonna we're gonna continue to see see that trend. What really gets me excited is is the data that we're generating off of these mm. machines, and and just what we're being able to do to to process that data. Uh, none of this matters, at, at least in the aerospace and defense world. None of this matters if we can't prove we made a good part. Now we have to define what a good part is, right? I was walking down the hallway at a conference a couple of years ago and somebody in front of me goes, you know, if we had the inspection techniques that we have today in the 1950s, we would never be flying a casting. So I don't get why. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I believe that. (laughs) Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm excited about the data and I'm going to throw out the industry 4.0 and that, that, that digital thread, um, and I think that's where, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're you can't outrun physics, right? You can only melt, you can melt metal so fast. So machines will grow, lasers will grow. Um, and that, so I think that data is going to be, and how we process that data is going to be 
be critical. And, and the same thing with automation. Uh, you know, we've got a out of our Glen Burnie facility, we've got um, just a, a bunch of robo drills uh, running repetitive work. Um, so anybody that needs needs repetitive robo drill style work, we've we've we're good there. Uh, get a hold of us. We'll we'll hook you up. Uh, but we also have a an automated Makino cell, which is just that is cool to watch. Uh, run can run lights out 24 hours. I think we've got our sixth machine, uh, sixth spindle ordered for that. So um, that's either on its way or coming in here shortly, maybe installed. Uh, and, and that's a palletized system. It's it's the future of, of manufacturing. You know. Everybody's running into labor constraints. So how can we most effectively use our labor through automation and through through data management? And then that flows back into digital manufacturing initiative and uh, how we how we leverage that. It's interesting. Uh, the, the, I have a, a like a fundamentally this whole like that. I'm a little bit allergic to in industry 4.0 thing as well. And, and, <laughs> and if you hear a lot of these, like in Europe, it's worse. <laughs> this is way worse. And if you hear a lot of these people talking about the digital thread and the digital the twin and and all this information flowing and coming together, it's it's kind of like being in a new age retreat. You know, where they're all like talking about like holistic and all the all the information flow, and it's all really vague and really kind of really annoying. And it doesn't really seem to make sense. But I do agree that if we harness all the sensor data, all the machine output, stuff like layer cam, inspection data, and we kind of can, can feed that back to settings and powder and everything to, to kind of optimize our process and to know why we get mistakes and then learn from these and then to, to, to kind of learn from the differences across the machine bed and orientation, all this kind of stuff, yeah, that could get really very, very uh, exciting very quickly and then getting us, uh, letting us get better, better parts, right? Oh yeah, I mean, data is useless unless you find a, a reasonable and manageable way to use it, right? We can create all the, all the data we want from everything in our lives, but uh, uh, at some point you just get, you get so overwhelmed that it, 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 I don't wanna call it useless, but it's creating data for data's sake. Um, it's what you do with that data and how you distill that data uh, that is, is really that, that critical flashpoint. Um, you know, in the machine tool world, they're looking at, at obviously spindle loads, uh, vibrations, um, being able to predict when, when a tool is going to break. Uh, so you're not, not scrapping parts. It's, it's that data flow and, and what do you do with it and how does it become useful and how does it impact, impact, impact your bottom line and, and what your customers are paying for parts, uh, and making sure that they're getting a, a quality component that's, uh, going to meet their needs and meet their customers' needs. But but if we're looking at that, then I think you know everybody famously thinks like the SDL sucks, but we don't actually do anything about getting rid of SDL. <laughs> um, uh, so so don't you think that this whole idea of like trying to describe an object with triangles and then in a really limited file format, which doesn't contain can't contain that much information, and then trying to slice that format to get a machine to print it that. Isn't that holding us back, right? Is now oh. the time to maybe kill it finally and like come up with a new way of, of describing objects better? Or, but why do we have to do things a new way? And, and I'm not, I'm not saying yes. The STL does suck, and so that's why uh, I, I will completely agree with you there. Um, so our, our Westfield facility, we're running, uh, running mostly Octon uh, 3D Expert software, which doesn't take an STL, right? I can bring in CAD. Uh, I know Materialize has has now brought in translators. I think they're still, I, I don't know all the background on, on what they're doing there, so I'm not going to speak to it. But yeah, we, we've got to move away from the STL. But 
for whatever reason, we feel like every time that we need a change in the additive industry, we've got to create something new. Why do we have to create something new? Let's let's go to an industry standard, something that's out there, something that our customers are already using, whether it's it's the native CAD out of their CAD packages or a step um, or something that's got a standard behind it. We don't have to recreate the wheel every time we see a deficiency in our industry. Uh, same thing with NES systems, quality systems, you name it. We've got, a, we've got, we make things. That's what we do. <laughs> yes. We make things difficult. Yeah, exactly. We've got a big saying, or I've got a big saying, and that's just because you can, doesn't mean you should. So. Yeah, no, it's very true. <laughs> yeah. But, I th- but, uh, but, and then it's interesting then, like, because the, the it doesn't also seem, this is really interesting uh, that, that, uh, we we had a discussion. Uh, I have another podcast, uh, and uh, <laughs> it's a prosthetics podcast. And and we had this discussion in there. With Brent Ryder does us with me, and then we had a discussion about these. There was these packages you can use now for prosthetics. You can use these automated kind of software that kind of automatically turns a scan into a three D print like ready file. Right? And Brent's point in this was that there we're feeding the software all this information. Right, and they're going to use it to get better machine learning, and then the software is going to be better, which is good for everyone. But then the value will accrue to the software manufacturer, not the manufacturer. Right? Do you see the same thing, or do you see like, no, no, the better that Octon gets, or the better that that, that, that these AI or automation tools get, the better it'll be for everyone? Or how do you see this? So I, I see this as that's that's only one piece piece of your manufacturing chain. Right, so you still have you still have to get down to powder definition. You still have to get down to properties definition. Um, that's that's more of an enabler, I would say that you know the Octon software and, and what they're doing uh, is is an enabler to additive, but it's it's not necessarily the uh, value driver. Um, but you're right. If if everything moves the the same direction, eventually you're going to have convergence. I mean, look at how many vanilla SUVs are out there on the road right now there there is still going to be criticality in in the process behind the production uh and that's where where a lot of the value comes in um, and then supply chain management again additive is is one piece of the manufacturing uh value chain and it's it's how do you integrate that with subtractive how do you do your, your production planning um etc that there there's there's a lot to uh, a lot to that uh, the value of that that final component, uh, including the quality reports and what you're doing with quality. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm just trying to figure out the, the 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 thing for because it's like you know we came from a point where all the manufacturing people were all keeping all the secrets to themselves. You know, everybody had figured out the secret 3D printing sauce, and then we went to a point where it's it got holed up in companies, and now it's like either it's going to go to the software companies or it's going to become embedded in standards and and, and classes, and everyone's going to learn it, or it's still going to be behind closed walls. How do you feel about that generally? I mean, do you feel that it's your job to share as much as you can, or to like kind of like create as much IP as you can, in actual fact? Uh, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Um, mm-hmm. I think we've got we have some areas where we will maintain our IP. Uh, we have some areas where we see that it, it uh, is to our advantage and to our industry advantage to to have some sharing. Um, so there's there's multiple ways around that. Whether it's it's licensing, whether it's uh, just open sharing. Um, I think there there is an important drive to standards. Uh, I think that they're going to tell you what you need to have, not necessarily how you need to get there. 
Um, and I think that's that's a critical point that it's there's still going to be IP involved, um, and there's still going to be IP creation and value behind uh, IP creation. Um, but I think as as certain material sets, certain technologies evolve, there does have to be a critical mass of unified unified standards and unified processes uh, to enable all of our customers um, to go out and reliably source components. Okay, okay. And then another thing I want to talk about is traditionally service bureaus are either metal-focused or polymer-focused. And now we're seeing more of a, do, do you really see, and and there's two different kinds of like a lot of it is the same but a lot of it is very very different you know do you see a lot of synergies and you guys running both technologies or or, or, you know because that would also make everything more expensive than if you were just running metal right it doesn't necessarily make make everything more expensive um you know we've been been fortunate that uh most of our our acquisitions have have come in and had a focus um on on one or the other uh and have systems set up to, to efficiently do one or the other um, and, and a critical mass in, in that regard. I think, again, just, just having the breadth of offering is, and basically having, having one place to, to uh, send a PO um, has been extremely beneficial to, to our customer base, uh, regardless of, of where their, their components coming out of a, a California facility or a New York facility that extends across metal or polymer or whatever modality uh, it, it may be. Oh, you, you keep mentioning that you have lots of facilities everywhere. And then, of course, the, the problem that we encounter then is the run-to-run differences between the machines. So how do you manage to standardize mm-hmm. across like different facilities and, and get the same result in, in Florida as in New York or that kind of thing? Yeah, so so right now our fleet is relatively small, but that's where you know we go back to the data conversation um, and some of these uh, some of the advanced equipment that we're running. Uh, you know, in particular the velos, the, the calibration procedures. Um, obviously, there's there's differences in uh, in the rooms in which they're located, the facilities that they're located, each part of the country. Um, so you know, we've got uh, climate control in, in our facilities, humidity control. Um, so we'll be able to, to standardize, standardize on those. Uh, and then, you know, again, just on, on the information and data that we're getting from the machines, being able to, to dial them tightly. Uh, again, it, it depends on customer requirements. Um, we have, to this point, have not moved uh, a significant amount of production work from, from the facility in which it's currently located on, on the additive side. Um, some of the lower requirement work uh we we do move around based on capacity based on on machine needs um and we've been relatively successful in that uh and that's we've developed a very strong internal relationship and internal network uh that our customers may not necessarily see and and again that's where our digital manufacturing uh, initiative really comes into play is is to, to have that seamless transition um within our own internal network uh, and, and give our customers one point so they don't have to go go to New York, go to Indianapolis, or go go to California to figure out where the best solution for them lies. Uh, it, it's really about flexibility for our customers and what our, our customers need uh, needs are. Um, okay. So oh, that's, that's cool. kind of a, lo- a long, long-winded answer to that. I, <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, I didn't really answer your question, but uh, no, it's about how you, it's a philosophical thing more than anything else because no one's really figured out how to do this. 
uh, it's got to come though. I mean, when we look at yeah. <laughs> look at, at what the demand curve and demand signals are, you know, it, it's I, I don't think we're we're that far off. I think we just need to to understand what's important and uh, and focus on that rather than focus on on everything. Uh, move move out of the academic a little bit and um, into the into the practical. Mm. Okay. Yeah, totally. And one interesting thing, I think, I think perusing your site, I can, you guys run Formlabs machines, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> but also, as you, uh, uh, as you said, you run Velo, Aos, and uh, Additive Industries. Can you tell us a little bit of the types of additive machines you guys run? Oh man, we've we've got a little bit of everything. Uh, so I, I will say that you know we've had exposure and experience to um, to really almost every every metal machine out there. So we've got, uh, let's see. So I'll just start here because I'm, I'm in California, uh, right now. So we've got concept layer lasers and us machines out here with, with another brand likely coming on soon. Uh, Indianapolis, we've got additive industries. Uh, we have two velos, um, got a couple 3d systems pro x 320s we had the old phoenix machines there the roller based systems which you know for what it's worth everybody hated them uh in the industry and there's yeah. still stuff <laughs> still stuff i could do on those that just like i think would bl- blows away, away most of what what's out there today there's a They're pxl pay- yeah. yeah yeah the P- the old pxls pxms um yeah we were doing some really interesting stuff with with compaction uh that that gave us a, a pretty distinct advantage so we've got uh got the, let's see so have all that for metals um the the polymer mach- polymer machines i'm not even going to get into uh you know we've got much more than we've got a couple large large frame titans uh out of out of our bonita facility and uh stay tuned um well, that's that's a I will say we've got a bunch of machines down there uh, across a variety of different uh, different manufacturers. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I, I can't. I don't have a list in front of me, and I, I deal mostly deal mostly with the metals. So that's just a, a lack of my knowledge. And one thing I've been really excited about is this whole idea of saying, okay, we've got stuff like, okay, bound metal, for example, which allows you to on a two hundred dollar machine or whatever, or a thousand dollar Prusa, uh, you know, make really simple metal parts using sintering right they're not great but i think you could use them for a lot of things right uh, and you can make actually like lego you can make the the accuracy of this part actually much more than than, than maybe you assume the process accuracy to be you know uh then we've got just generally uh we've got processes like uh dd with meltio or we've got these other kind of relatively low cost machines do you see like a but i don't see like a service bureau like a you know is used to buying the million dollar machines so they kind of get locked into it and and do you see this movement of maybe? But we on the on the same time we see people buying like two hundred Prusas and or two hundred Crealities even, and 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 really push out parts. Are you guys looking at that kind of low cost service bureau models as well? Or uh, we we tend to be very engineering focused. Um, so I I'm not going to say never, uh, but I would say that that our current focus is really on on most of the high requirement. Uh, components. You know, when you when you look at starting to to drive to more of a commodity style Low, component, uh, yeah, uh, that's that's. I mean, let's just be honest. That's that's not where we're we're set up to play uh, right now. Not that there's there's not value in it, but you you mentioned it. You've got your zometries, you've got your shapeways out there that are are doing that um, right now, and uh, through the the companies that we've acquired, um, our sweet spots really in the the heavy requirement uh, engineering 
engineering centric uh, customer base and industries. Now that doesn't, we're, we're continuing to evaluate all these technologies coming out, you know, be it DED, laser, uh, not laser, uh, binder, binder jet, yeah, binder jet, mm-hmm. uh, Tritone is pretty interesting. We've got a couple applications where that I, may make sense. I think Triton is really exciting. I think I think the first time I looked at that machine, I was like, "Oh my god, this is never going to work." And, and <laughs> it just looks so complicated. But it does keep everything in the volume of the machine. It keeps everything, all the processing in it. I thought I'm I'm really fascinated by that actually. You look at what they've done, and they they've decoupled some of the process. Uh, you don't necessarily have to have that extremely expensive sintering oven or sintering furnace in your facility. You know, let, let's face it, the machine is only one piece, one cost uh, of, of the manufacturing ecosystem. And you have to have all of your secondaries. And I, I think that's a really interesting play by, by Tritone where they've got a, a shippable green part. Yeah, so. I, think, I think that's a really exciting uh, thing as well. When I first saw it, I was like, mm, I don't know if this is going to work. But, but I do like that people are doing process and in-process innovations and kind of really looking at um, uh, like, okay, what are the process constraints of what we have and what process could we reinvent that, that could really give us some usable parts? Because I, I, really, I don't think, you know, you, I, I believe in like different horses for courses. Like there's going to be different kind of, you know, different parts that would really, you know, have one machine working 24-7 making a particular type of bracket or a particular type of screen or a particular type of filter, you know? You know, there's different uh, value propositions behind every single part that, that we look at. No. You know, and, and um, that that volume play, we've got to get into that that volume business. Uh, and I think we've seen it the the polymer side move towards that um, quite rapidly through through technology advances and uh, obviously expiring patents and and people taking those ideas and improving upon them. And I think we're starting to starting to see that more in the metal realm uh, as well. Yeah, but if you if you look at like uh, these things, do you really think that are you guys looking heavily at, like things like AM flow or Solicon where you have to like you know depotter all the time and and are you looking at, at heavily at this whole conveyancing piece as well? Because that to me is just a huge bottleneck as well. Uh, yes, um, we are. Uh, then the in addition to that, you have to have a a really strong MES to to run it uh, efficiently. Um, at some point, you just can't keep throwing throwing underutilized equipment at it, right? We, we've got to think of this as, as true manufacturing. We've got to think of this, you know, as, as we do our, our CNC equipment and, and uh, uh, truly pushing, pushing that utilization up. And we've got to have, we've got to have predictable, well-built equipment and software. I mean, let's, let's not forget about it. Uh, most of, most of the OEMs out there right now are, they're hardware, hardware builders and the software is secondary. Um, and we've got to get get stronger in, in our machine control software. Uh, so we're not having and it, it's gotten significantly better. I mean, don't get me wrong. But uh, we've got to have that predictability that that when I start a build, a build is going to finish and not crash out because of a piece of equipment in order to, to drive my utilization up, not screw up my schedule um, and, and uh, allow us to, to produce on a, a uh, predictable schedule, which then in turn flows into that that secondary ecosystem of of your depowdering, uh, and then you get into an ex, you know a relatively complex scheduling of parts coming out of machines. How do we automate that labor and and really making that that whole process flow as as seamless and as efficient as possible? Um, 
So again, back back to software and data collection, uh, being able to feed that in and, and uh, do proactive scheduling, we're going to have to push towards that uh, and a more automated solution uh, as as we continue to grow and scale this industry. Agree, agree. And what, what else do you hope to achieve in the next five years or so? Where do you hope to be five years from now? Oh, it's been a, it's been a wild last five years. Um, <laughs> no, I, I can I, I see us uh, at at Adman um, as as continuing our growth pattern. Uh, I see I see us uh, growing both in footprint and in technology. You know, one of the things we haven't even talked about is is some of our innovation. Uh, that's coming out of, of Adman, for example, we've um, we have some IP on a uh, we're not going to call it. We don't call it a slicer. I'm not sure what we call it, but it's not a slicer uh, for polymer parts. It basically gives interlocking layers. So watertight FDM with near 100 percent density. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's being licensed through Create It Real. Uh, so I, I can I see us continuing to to mature the additive side grow the the CNC and enable all of this through through our digital manufacturing initiative uh, to be able to, to to continue to just improve every single day uh, for our customer and, and their customers so I, I don't know what that looks like in five years other than a hell of a lot of hard work and a lot of smart people all right sounds like a yeah. great time ahead hey thanks a bunch for for, for coming here today Bob thank you so much I appreciate the opportunity. And Max, thank you for, for being here again. Always a pleasure, Joyce. Thank you. All right. And thank you for listening. Uh, this is another episode of the 3D Pod. Have a great day. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint.com. underscore